Good afternoon. Uh, my name is John T. It's great to see you. Um, I'd love you to turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. It's on page 1156 of the Bibles. There's loads of Bibles around. Um, let me add my welcome to Sam's. If you're here for the first time, it's great to see you. Thank you for coming and joining us. Um, our, our practice as a church is to take a book of the Bible, work our way through it. You join us in the middle of 1 Corinthians 15. It's a great place to have joined us. Um, so I'm going to read uh, verses 35 to 50. And, uh, and then we're going to seek to understand uh, what God's word says together. Let's pray. Let's read. <laughs> Verse 35. Someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? How foolish. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And when you sow, you do not plant the body that will be, but just a seed, perhaps of wheat or of something else. But God gives it a body as he has determined. And to each kind of seed, he gives its own body. Not all flesh is the same. People have one kind of flesh, animals have another, birds another, and fish another. There are also heavenly bodies and there are earthly bodies, but the splendor of the heavenly bodies is one kind, and the splendor of the earthly bodies is another. The sun has one kind of splendor, the moon another, and the stars another, and stars differ from star in splendor. So will it be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable. It is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. So it is written. The first man, Adam, became a living being. The last, Adam, a life-giving spirit. The spiritual did not come first, but the natural, and after that, the spiritual. The first man was of the dust of the earth. The second man is of heaven. As was the earthly man, so are those who are of the earth. And as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are of heaven. And just as we have borne the image of the earthly man, so shall we bear the image of the heavenly man. I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. We're going to stop there. And we're going to leave the last little bit, and the last little bit's terrific. We'll leave that for next week because there's enough in this bit for us to wrap our heads around and to work at. And let me say, we're gonna, it's, this is going to push us a bit, okay? This is going to push us to think. I hope you're up for that this afternoon. I hope you're going to be up for, for working at what this really says and trying to understand it together. Because as Tim was praying uh, a minute ago, I don't know if you noticed, Tim prayed, uh, Heavenly Father, help us to see that there's nothing this world has to offer that compares with what you offer us. Or, or what, what life lived for your glory or something like that. Right, here's my question, okay? Do you really believe that's true? Do you really believe it's true that this world has nothing to offer us compared to what God has promised us in Christ? Because in, that's what we're going to see in 1 Corinthians 15. We're going to see this afternoon what it is that God has promised us. And not in some vague, airy-fairy way, but in a pretty real, solid, physical way. We're going to try to understand what is it that God has promised us. 
And therefore, perhaps even this afternoon, God will answer Tim's prayer as we look at this passage. That God would help us this afternoon to see that this world has nothing to offer us compared to what he has for us in Christ. So perhaps even this afternoon, Tim's prayer will be answered by God's word. That'd be cool, wouldn't it? That's what we're about. And let me say, I'm gonna, let, here's my main point. Uh, the main point this afternoon is that fish don't fly. That's it. That's what I, that's what I want you to remember as you go home this evening. Fish don't fly. And if you can remember that, you'll understand 1 Corinthians 15, or this bit here. I might need to explain a little more than that, I know. But most of you who come to Globe fairly regularly, get used to my slightly uh, random, obscure uh, sermon titles. But here we go. Fish don't fly. Fish have bodies, yes? Yes. In fact, fish have bodies that are perfectly, beautifully, and wonderfully suited to swimming in the sea. They're very good at it. And they swim in the sea, and they're agile, and they're fast, and they look majestic, and it's beautiful. But you take a fish in an aeroplane, and you throw it out the window, suddenly it's all gone wrong. Because fish don't fly. It becomes a fish out of water. So to speak. Okay, here's the argument. We, as human beings, have bodies that are fit for this earth. We have earthly bodies. We have bodies that are flesh and blood. We have bodies that are made of the dust of the earth. We have bodies. We are fit for earth. Just like fish have bodies fit for the sea, we have bodies fit for the earth. They are natural bodies. They're from the dust. But here's the issue. These bodies are not fit for heaven. That's what it says in verse 50, the last verse I read. Have a look at it. I declare to you, brothers, not inherit the kingdom of God. Fish don't fly and earthly bodies don't enter heaven. If you take a human body as it is now, a body made of the dust of the earth, if you take a human body and if you place it in God's new creation, it will not lie. It is not, it doesn't fit. It will not survive. And here is what lies at the heart of this section. God has a plan for our bodies. Okay, look, 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 right. If you, if you're a Christian, if you belong to Jesus, God has a plan for your body that is mind-blowingly magnificent. That's what we need to get to grips with. People have all sorts of ideas about heaven, all sorts of ideas about the future, all sorts of weird things about who knows what's going to happen after you die. But what we're interested in trying to do is to look at what God has told us, not to go beyond it, not to stray into wild speculation, but to try and stick closely to what God says. The main thing is clear. For all who belong to Jesus, God is going to take your earthly body and he's going to transform it to make it a heavenly body so that the fish can fly. So that you can live in his new creation. That's what he's doing. That's the argument of 1 Corinthians 15. And we need to get our heads around how that relates to us today. That's the question that Paul starts with in verse 35. It's a, let's face it, it's a pretty sarcastic question. Look with me at verse 35. Someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? I think Paul anticipates that that is not an honest question. 
Paul has already been talking about the resurrection of the dead. He's already been talking about Christ having been raised. Christ who had a body. His body was dead. He was raised to new life. And now he says because Christ was raised, all who belong to Christ will also be raised. And there's a bunch of people in Corinth going, that is ridiculous. How can the dead be raised? What sort of bodies are they going to have? You know, you begin to picture some kind of zombie apocalypse of all these dead corpses. Like, right, what's going to happen, Paul? We're struggling to believe that resurrection is going to happen because we can't think how it's possible. And so there's this ridiculous... You know, is God going to collect up all the bits of our bodies? You know, kind of all the little bits that have, you know, for, and, and piece them all back together and make us all again? can't be serious you can't seriously believe that can you but that's the argument that lies behind this section how is God going to do it because Christ has been raised we too will be raised but the focus is now on the body and the answer is simple Paul says how will the dead be raised with what kind of body will they come they'll come with a body fit for heaven you absolutely will have a body. Oh, look, please hear this, okay. The future for the Christian does involve a body. Paul could have answered this question very happily and said, oh, it doesn't matter about bodies, forget bodies. You know, we'll just all go and be spirits. We'll all just go and float around. We'll just all become souls and we'll, the souls will float off into space and we'll have a happy time in heaven and we'll leave all our bodies behind. That is twirl theology. Right, if you were here a few weeks ago, right, I had a twirl bar. I was going to buy another one. It was an excuse to buy another twirl bar, but I didn't because I'm very restrained. Okay, the point with the twirl bar theology is you've got a twirl bar in a wrapper. If I give you the chocolate, you say, yes, that's a twirl bar. I give you the wrapper, you say, no, that's not a twirl bar. That's just the wrapper. That's how people in Corinth thought about what it means to be human. They said, no, the soul is your real you and the body's just a wrapper. So it's the inner bit that really matters. And Paul is writing to him saying, no, 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 no. Your body is what matters. You are a physical human being. Forget the twirl. Twirl theology is wrong. We are body and soul. And look, you know that, okay? When you're watching something exciting, um, you know, if you're into the football or if you're into something else, I can't think of anything else. Uh, if you're into uh, there are other exciting things on offer apparently but supposing you're watching England it isn't just you don't just kind of watch it and your body just sits there doing nothing there is a physical interaction with what's going on right your heart beats faster there's a there's a physical now I'm talking about any situation where you're you're involved okay so a friend comes around the corner you smile Right? Your body does something cool. You feel sad and you cry. Or you feel happy and you laugh, right? There's a connection between the physical and the soul. You, you can't split those two things up. I can't help it when England, if England score, that you leap off the seat. You can't help it. You can't stop it. Because there's a connection between the soul and the body. And so Paul says, to be human means to have a body, which means that the body really matters, which means that God is very serious about bodies. He thinks bodies really matter. He's committed to it. 
Actually, you see that a lot in the book of 1 Corinthians. Back in 1 Corinthians 6, it says this. um, You are not your own. You are bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. In other words, God is interested in our bodies, not just in our souls. And that means that God's plan for the future involves your body. But not your body as it is now, because fish don't fly. But your body as it will be when he transforms it so that you can fly, so that you can enter heaven. Right, here's what we can do. There are four contrasts in this passage, okay? I'm going to show you them, and then we'll build up a picture of what this new body is going to be like. Um, and stick with this. We're going to, I, I hope it will stretch your brain and give you a bigger view of just what God has promised. I hope it will get you excited. Might even get your heart beating a little bit faster. Who knows? Okay, the first big contrast is between the seed and the plant. Okay, and each of these four contrasts will build things up, right? So let's look at the seed and the plant. Uh, he starts in verse 36. They've asked the question, what kind of body will they come? How foolish. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. When you sow, you do not plant the body that will be, but just a seed, perhaps a wheat or something else. He says, come on, children, think about when you were at preschool and they gave you a little mustard seed, a little cress, and you made soggy a little bit of cotton wool, and you put your cress on the thing, and then it put it in eggshell, and it grew hair, and you drew a face on it, and you cut the hair off, and... No, okay. Uh... The seed, right? You, everybody knows how seeds work. And here's the first contrast in Paul's understanding of the resurrection. So let's just push this again. Let's think about the seed and the plant. What is the relationship between those two things? How does it help us to think about resurrection? Okay, let's just make this slightly more uh, fun for you all. Let's um, have a seed uh, and name it Cedric. And let's pretend that you are friends with Cedric. And you talk to Cedric from time to time. Cedric, how are you today? I'm okay. I'm a little bit miserable, but I'm all right. And you have a good relationship with Cedric. You laugh together. You cry together. It's fun, right? You and Cedric, the seed. I know it's tough. Go with it. You know, you have a happy time. And so one day Cedric disappears. I think, oh, it's a shame. I was enjoying getting to know Cedric. I haven't seen Cedric for a couple of weeks. But you never, never mind. You know, friends go, come and go, don't they? And you're walking down the street one day. And suddenly you hear a voice behind you. Hey, 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 it's me. And you turn around and there's a sunflower, a whopping great sunflower. And the sunflower's talking to you. Hey, hey, it's me. And you go, who? It's me, it's Cedric. You go, well, Cedric, you don't look like you used to. <laughs> Has that helped at all? So here's the thing, right? <laughs> Is it still Cedric. Yes, absolutely it's still Cedric. Cedric can say, when I was a seed, right? I can tell you my life story. That was my when I was a seed time, but now I'm a plant. It's still, there's absolute continuity, but man, they're different, aren't they? They're completely transformed. Cedric is no longer just a seed. He is now this magnificent, glorious sunflower, And here is where Paul is driving at this argument. He says, your body, there will be a continuity. It will still be you, but there will be a massive discontinuity too. You will be nothing like you. 
You know, so I don't think Cedric, when he's a sunflower, goes, oh, I miss being a seed. I miss being small and brown and insignificant and small. I miss it. He's like, no, because now he's a whacking great plant. He says, this is what I was yearning for. And actually, Paul is saying, you're just a seed at the moment. Your body at the moment is just a seed that has a future for it that is so massively beyond. If you'd said to Cedric, do you know, Cedric, one day you're going to be one of those, you'd have gone, don't be stupid, look at me. But here's the point. This is, this is what resurrection does. Now, how? How does the seed go from being a seed to being a plant? What does it say? It has to die. It dies. It is planted. It's buried in the ground. And then the plant grows. So now think about Christ, Jesus, the the one who's already been raised from the dead. Here is Christ, the man. He's buried in the ground. Three days later, he rises to new life. I mean, very, I want you to, I really want to push on this. We're going to see this again a, a, a bit later on, but let me just flag it up now. We have got to stop thinking that the resurrected Christ is just the earthly Christ come back to life again. He's not. He's so much more. I'll show you that in a minute. That's the first big contrast. The contrast between seed and plant. You got that? Right? This is what's got to happen. The seed has got to be transformed into a plant. Okay, here's the second contrast. Um, Earthly and heavenly. Let's have a look at what happens next. Uh, God gives... um, This is verse 38. God gives it a body as he's determined into each kind of seed. He gives its own body... Not all flesh is the same. People have one kind of flesh. Animals have another. Birds another and fish another. Right? We all know that. Paul says, look, there's all sorts of bodies. God's good at bodies. He does bodies. There's loads of bodies all over the place. Fish and birds, they've got different sorts of bodies. You know if you're eating salmon or chicken, right? It's different. It's different flesh. It's a different body. But then, look, he pushes it even further. Because then he suddenly goes, they're also heavenly bodies. And there are earthly bodies, but the splendor of the heavenly bodies is one kind, and the splendor of the earthly bodies is another. The sun has one kind of splendor, the moon another, and the stars another, and star differs from star in splendor. So here's the contrast between earthly and heavenly. So the things of earth, the earthly things, have some splendor. A frog has some splendor. It's a magnificent frog. Here's a frog, and it's a has some glory but it'd be weird to contrast that to the sun go wow you're not as glorious as the sun are you well it's because he's an earthly body bless his heart and the sun is a heavenly body and so there's this contrast between an earthly and a heavenly glory and if we're going to be in heaven then our bodies need to be transformed from earthly glory to heavenly glory you get it This is very clever the way Paul argues this because he makes this shift very subtly because here, heaven, he's talking about the skies, the universe, sun, moon and stars and stuff. But he's going to pick that language up in a minute and actually say, no, I'm talking heaven, heaven, heavenly. It's very clever the way Paul argues this. Get the contrast between earthly glory and heavenly glory. Look, I get that some of you have got glorious bodies. (laughs) You know, as... I get it, right? I get that some people in the world have that particular thing. And it's, there's some glory, but it's nothing compared to the glory of the sun. And that's nothing compared to the heavenly glory that one day will be yours 
in this transformed body. Okay, we're building up, okay? If it's still not clear, don't worry. We've got two more contrasts to go. By the end of these four, I hope you have a little bit more clear. So seed to plant. Earthly, limited glory. Some glory, not a lot. Uh, uh, Heavenly glory. Okay, here's the third one. The third one is natural and spiritual. So look at verse 42. So will it be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable. It is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. Okay, so let's, let's do the contrast again. The contrast between our bodies now and what our bodies one day will be. Our bodies now are perishable. If you were to place me in the supermarket, I would not be with the pasta and rice. I would be with the lettuces. Right? Because they perish. Pasta and rice, you can keep for ages and ages. It doesn't go off. Lettuces, they soon go soggy. That's me. I have a perishable body. We all feel that. We all feel the perishableness of our bodies. We go to huge lengths to try and reverse the perishing process. We try to preserve our bodies. We try to keep our bodies young. We go for runs to try and keep our bodies fit and healthy and young. Some of us. But natural bodies are perishable. They're also dishonourable. That's the description, isn't it? The body that's sown is perishable. It's sown in dishonor. Often our bodies are not something we're very proud of. We tend to cover our bodies up. And even if for a brief moment our bodies do hit that peak physical condition, it doesn't last. And they let us down. We behave in ways that are wrong. Let's face it, we use our bodies to do things that are deeply, deeply shameful. You think of the things you've done with your physical body of which you are deeply ashamed. The things that we've clicked on, the things that we've looked at with our eyes, the things that we've said with our mouths, the places our feet have taken us. Dishonorable. Our bodies are dishonorable. We are ashamed. Many of us know that. Shame very deeply. We have natural bodies. They're perishable, they're dishonorable, and they're weak. We can't do the things that we'd like to do. We get tired. We're limited in our capacity. You know, you're so frustrating sometimes being human. You know, I want to do all this stuff and I can't. I'm like, I can only be in one place at a time. I get tired. I get frustrated with myself. I'm so weak. And although I like to pretend that I'm Superman, I like to pretend I can do everything. I, I can't. And the older you get, the more you realize your weakness. So there's the natural body, but here we go. You ready for the contrast? What about the spiritual body? The body that God has promised, the body that God is preparing for us. Now be careful because we hear the word spiritual and we tend to hear the word spiritual and go, oh, that means not real. There's reality, there's kind of the real world and the spiritual world. No, shut up, that's rubbish. 
right? In the Bible, spiritual does not mean not real, or doesn't even mean not physical. It means of the spirit. It means what God by his spirit is doing. So the natural body is the perishable, weak, dishonorable body, but God by his spirit is going to make something brand new, a spiritual body, a spirit body. If you're interested, by the way, in in John 3, Jesus said, flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. All that I can produce, and I can't even do it on my own, (laughs) sorry, all that I can produce is more weak, imperishable, dishonorable flesh. Right? Flesh gives birth to flesh. All I can produce, and again, I'm not taking most of the credit, but all I can produce is imperishable human beings flesh gives birth to flesh it's so frustrating and yet the spirit gives birth to spirit and just look at the spiritual body that God is promising so have a look the body that's so imperishable is raised imperishable just just think about that Think about a body that is not perishing, that's not decaying. A body that's not showing signs of wear and tear. A body that's not heading towards death. Think of a body where there's nothing to be ashamed of. The body that's sown in dishonor is raised in glory. Where you will shine like the sun. Where people will look at you and rather than going, they'll say, wow, you shine like the sun. Something of such radiant beauty is what the Spirit does. Think of a body that is sown in weakness but is raised in power. A body where you are able able to fight sin able to do the things you long to do able to help people able to worship able able powerful have power i don't know about you but that what a promise can i say i think if we could see our bodies like this if we could see that this is what god was doing it would really change our experience of our bodies now we live in a culture that is utterly utterly warped in its thinking about the body so you can pick up a magazine where there are pictures of airbrushed pictures of women that are perfect in their body shape whatever that's supposed to be and in the same magazine you'll have articles that tell you to love the way you are and to accept who you are our culture is so bonkers stupid right We love the body and we hate the body at the same time. We crave the perfect body and we're distressed when we don't have the perfect body. And all the time we're so frustrated and we're chasing after something you will never ever get. You'll never achieve it. You'll never get there because flesh gives birth to flesh. It's all it can do. And even the most perfect supermodel one day in fact, probably today, still hates their body. What futility. And yet God says, no, no, I have a purpose for your body. 
I created your body. I created you. And yet I know. I know it's imperishable. I know it's dishonorable. I know it's weak. I know it's frustrating. I know it's hard. But just you wait. Wait and see what I will do. And there's one final question. uh, uh, contrast I want to show you and this is where it lands this is where you see okay this all sounds really weird and abstract how is this possible okay this is why the last contrast is between Adam and Christ the seed and the plant the earthly and the heavenly the natural and the spiritual how does this all work well because of the great contrast between Adam and Christ have a look at this verse 45 So it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam, a life-giving spirit. That is a contrast between Adam, the first man that God made, and the second Adam, that is Christ Jesus. Now, let's push a little bit. And I'm going to say that what I'm going to say in the next few minutes might be a little bit tentative. All right? So this is for you to think about and for us to question and to work at. But it's very interesting in verse 45, so it is written, the first man Adam became a living being. That's a quote, a quote from Genesis, the first book of the Bible. It's a quote from Genesis chapter 2. That is before Adam sinned. Okay? Before Adam sinned, this is how he's described. He is a man of the dust. He's formed from the dust of the ground. And God breathes life into Adam. And he's a man. But I'm not sure that Adam was a finished. I'm not sure that Adam was a finished product. I'm not sure that what God has in store for us is that we will become like Adam was. I think God had much more in store for Adam. Because there was a tree in the garden that Adam was allowed to eat from. There was a tree in the garden called the tree of life. And Adam was free to go and eat from that tree. And to live forever. Adam was free in the garden to live. But instead he chose to disobey God. And so in Genesis 3 it says this, that God shut the gates, shut the the, um, Garden of Eden, put flaming swords to guard the way back. And he said, because the man must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take from the tree of life. In other words, Adam now, all he has is the body of the earth, the body of dust. And he's not allowed to reach and eat from the tree of life and experience life. And so what is needed is a new Adam, a second Adam, a better Adam. And so what you discover is that Christ, Jesus himself, becomes a man. He becomes He takes a body, a natural body. He takes a perishable, dishonorable, weak body. He takes the dust of earth to himself. He's the eternal son of God, right? And he takes this human natural body. He takes the seed. He becomes just a little seed. He does what nobody else could do. He kind of goes backwards. He becomes this little seed of 
weakness and powerlessness. And he is sown into the ground as he is crushed and dies and is trampled and buried in the ground. Buried for Adam's failure. Buried for my failure. Buried for your failure. Christ came as the little seed. He was placed in the ground. Did you not see that he rose? And as Christ rose from the grave, he became what human beings were destined always to become. Not simply a man of the earth, but a man of heaven. That's how he's described. Look how it says, the first man was of the dust of the earth. The second man is of heaven. He is the heavenly man. If you want to find a man who is heavenly, you need to look no farther than Jesus. He's the one who bears the very life of heaven in himself. He is made of heaven stuff, not just earth stuff now. And this extraordinary and, to be perfectly honest with you, slightly beyond my understanding and mysterious transformation occurred in Christ that when he rose from the grave, he was raised as a heavenly man. His body was absolutely different to what it was before. And yet it's still Christ. It's still his body. He's still a man. But he's now the completely glorified, resurrected, new heavenly man. Which means, verse 48, look at this. As was the earthly man, that is Adam, so are those who are of the earth. That's you and me. We're just like Adam. We're of the earth. We're perishable, weak, and dishonorable. But look, as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are of heaven. And just as we have borne the image of the earthly man, so shall we bear the image of the heavenly man. What God will do at the resurrection is he will take your natural body and he will remake it to be a heavenly body. To be a spiritual body to be a body like Christ a body no longer that's of the earth but a body that's of heaven we've got to understand this now there is mystery here I get that but I want to show you that there's something majestic ahead does that mean our body will be made of the same stuff will we still have flesh and blood I don't know does it mean that our body you know, will we still have DNA I don't know I don't know. But I do know this. Your transformed body will be fit for God's new creation forever and ever. What a hope. So let's land this because we need to finish. I want to show you that because of Adam's sin, because of our sin, our bodies are perishable and we have no access to the tree of life because Christ came because he bore our sin because he rose again we now have access to life again that's the Christian hope 
And you may say to me, this sounds a little bit far-fetched. Let me tell you, God can do anything. He's good at bodies. And one day the fish will fly. Not the fish will fly. One day the people of earth will live in the kingdom of heaven. And it will be magnificent. And I struggle to explain it to you and I don't know anything more I can say. I don't know how more I can say to you. It's beautiful. But I want to say to those of you who feel frustrated, disappointed, those of you who are fighting sin and you feel like you're struggling, those of you who feel like giving up, those of you who think actually a promotional work is, is probably the best thing I can hope for, those of you who are on the edge of giving up, I want to say, hold on, hold on. He's coming and he will transform your body. So today, as a church family, let's praise him for this. Let's thank him for this. It will keep us from having too high a view of our bodies now, pouring all of our energies into our bodies now. What a ridiculous thing that would be. It will also stop us from hating our bodies now, saying this is what God is going to transform. Can't wait for you to do it, Lord. (laughs) Can't wait. Let's hold on. Jesus coming. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Um, Thank you so much that you are committed to not just our souls, but our bodies that that original intention you had for Adam, that he should not just be a perishable man of the earth, but that he should reach out and take hold of the tree of life. That that was always your intention for humanity. Father, we grieve how that's been lost. We worship you for the life-giving spirit. We worship you that in Christ we find life. In Christ we know that through death we will be glorified. And Lord, we pray that as our bodies are sown in, as our bodies are sown perishable, that we would look forward to the imperishability. That as we experience the dishonor now, that we'd long for the glory that's to come. As we experience the weakness now, that we'd long for the power that's to come. Father, thank you for what you've promised us in Christ. We praise you in his name. Amen. Amen.